I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you ready? Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. Break it down! Hi, there it is. 7.30 on a Friday, a football Friday. Great day yesterday for the Houston Texans. We just got done listening to the story of D'Amico Ryan's interview with the team, first interview with the team over Zoom, uh, courtesy of Texans GM Nick Casario, and he joins us now on the program. Nick, great to talk to you. Congratulations on on finding your head coach. Yesterday was a great day. How you doing? Thanks. Morning, fellas. Good to see uh, Seth back on the media side. I know he kind of was in there with the players, so he was kind of like splitting hats there yesterday, but uh, now he's back in his comfort zone more than likely so, but uh yeah, no, great day, uh, great day for the team, great day for the organization, great day for the city. We're excited. Uh, a lot of work ahead of us, but, uh, you know, we're in a pretty good spot and uh, can't wait to get started here with D'Amico. So I'm sure we got enough teed up here this morning to talk about. You know, I've kind of caught the wind of the Coop Shanistan offense that we're going to install. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, we'll probably cover that here at some point. I've did, um, Listen, I'm not, but, I'm not an absolutist with my <laughs> Coop Shanistani political beliefs. Uh, I do, I do feel like finding some kind of a, I, I do feel like somebody who's a part of a system where you can go out and find spare parts in the form of like assistant coaches. If your guy leaves as an offensive coordinator is important. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to have to go find another unicorn after my unicorn leaves to be a head coach somewhere. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And D'Amico kind of mentioned this yesterday and we're going through the staff construction process. But one of the things that we're going to try to do is however we build the staff, you want to try to develop certain level of continuity and consistency over the course of a period of time. We know you can't keep everybody forever, but you want to make sure that you have enough people in place and kind of create an infrastructure so that, and I'd say Kyle has done a great job in San Francisco. Um, credit to him, credit to John for the program that they built, and D'Amico has familiarity with that. So staff construction will be important. Really, that's kind of the first order of business for us here um, as we kind of turn the page a little bit and kind of get our feet on the ground a little bit and start to build the staff and then go into the team building process. But to your point there, it, it's a it's a legitimate point. So how we end up with the final result, I mean, it would be very thoughtful, but good coaches that are good people. And Debico mentioned this yesterday, kind of staff diversity on a lot of different levels. He articulated that as well um, will be important. Yeah. And you know what, honestly, I've, I've, I would have like seven follow-up questions to that because it's fascinating to me, except I feel like it's going to get super boring, super fast. I like, because the Never actual boring thing on this show. My <laughs> biggest takeaway, my biggest takeaway from from yesterday, honestly, Nick, was that it felt like you and D'Amico had an instant rapport, and that you. It seems like you probably 
see eye to eye on a lot of the big stuff when it comes to building a football team? I think that's a fair assessment. Uh, philosophically, we believe in a lot of the same things. Um, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. We've both had the good fortune of being in some really good programs for extended periods of time. And when you have some core principles and beliefs, it kind of put gives you a foundation. And as you work through the process, I thought one of the best answers he had yesterday was his perspective being in the draft room when they were going through kind of the six-round process. And here's a defensive coach. And you know, think defensive coaches – draft defensive players, but he had enough self-awareness and understanding of where their team was to say, you know what, this player over here, Elijah Mitchell, is somebody that can help our team, and he probably makes more sense than having another linebacker in the room. So I would say to your question, I think that's one of the things that was noticeable from the beginning. And as I mentioned in the press conference, he and I really didn't know each other. We knew of each other, but we really didn't know each other. And I think when you go through this process, it gives you an opportunity to do a deeper dive on people. And I mentioned this as well. This is a people business, and it starts with great people, with great principles that have good process, and then you merge those together. And in the end, it's a collective effort. It's our decision as an organization. It's not about one person. It's not about one individual I think D'Amico mentioned this as well. He had the question uh, about the quarterback position, which, again, we're not kind of dancing around it. The reality is we have one quarterback on a roster. We know we're going to have two or three other players at that position on the team. So we're not at the end point there yet about who that's going to be and what that's going to look like. But I think his overall understanding of team building, not necessarily just defense, and then the, the, as we took a deeper dive into some of the intricacies about what's important, what's important offensively, obviously he has a background defensively, he has a vision for what that looks like, and then combined with the kicking game, I mean, look, D'Amico has tremendous self-awareness, he understands football, his football intellect, and you've been in the huddle with him, I haven't been in the huddle with him, but is very, very high, so, and... When you combine that all together, look, are we going to be perfect? Every decision we make, is that going to be perfect? No. There's going to be plenty of things that happen. You know, It doesn't work out for whatever reason, but we have to be able to flip the page and say, all right, what happened? All right, let's make sure that doesn't happen again and just try to make good, smart decisions over the course of time. And if we do that, we'll be in a decent position. Does it automatically mean we're going to go out there and win a division eight years in a row? No, I'm not going to say that. That would be ignorant of me to say that. But to your point... I think we share a lot of the same beliefs and it's going to be a constructive dialogue on a day-to-day basis on a number of topics. And my responsibility is to support him as much as possible in my role, whatever that entails, and then make sure the rest of the building within the football operation, we're supporting the coaching staff, we're supporting the players, providing them the resources that they need so they can go out there and feel confident on Sunday that they're in a good position and they're ready to go. Nick Casario, Texans general manager, joining us on the show. So, Nick, along those lines, a lot gets made, especially when you guys have been through these coaching searches, that your background, your lineage is is in New England and and reporting up to Bill Belichick through the years. And when you a candidate like D'Amico comes in and his lineage seems to be, you know, more recently through Kyle Shanahan, but dates back to Kubiak and things like that. And a lot gets made of that on shows like this and in the internet and things like that about, can you marry these two styles? Are they going to get along? Things like that. In the end, is that stuff really kind of overrated? <laughs> Football's football. And all of us are trained a certain way and we grow up a certain way. So D'Amico's background, and he mentioned this yesterday, I thought it was a really great answer about the different coaches that have impacted him, what he's taken from the different coaches, whether it was Gary, 
whether it was Chip, whether it was Andy Reid, whether it was Kyle. And in my situation, I had the good fortune of being really in one place for almost 20 years or 20 seasons. And we're all a product of our background, and our foundation is based on principles that we learn wherever we work, and you accumulate those over time. So the application of those principles, regardless of what system or tree you grew up in, in the end, the core elements are going to be the same. So you talked about what, the, what you want your team to look like, what are the things that are important. You're going to take bits and pieces, and in the end, we have to make it our brand of football, our program, what do we believe in, and it's usually accumulation of things that you learn over time. I think that's just, I mean, that's just natural. And in my situation, when you're in one spot for a long period of time, you kind of just assume, well, it's just that or it's this or that. Well, not necessarily. You just have to take, you have to have enough understanding and self-awareness of what's going on, understand the league, understand there's different ways that you can do something. There's no right or wrong answer. What works for us? What do we believe in? How can we make it work here that's what we're focused on. So one of the things you talked about yesterday was how how positive you were on D'Amico immediately after getting off the Zoom call with him. What was the point in the interview where you started to feel, okay, I've heard good stuff about this guy, but this this is good stuff? Yeah, I would say it was very organic, and we mentioned this yesterday. I mean, he and I think he might have mentioned something to somebody after the press conference. He literally raced off the practice field. I think he had like 30 minutes, and he just got in his office, and he got a suit on, and we just started talking. I think sometimes everybody gets caught up in these interviews, having a bunch of books or a PowerPoint presentation or something ridiculous. In the end, it's really meant to be conversational. Give the candidate an opportunity to learn about us, us learn about him, then we'll do a deep dive into football and some of the specifics. You know, what do you look for offensively? What's important defensively? What's your philosophy? You know, it was interesting having a discussion with him about tackling, just kind of using that as an example. And I mean, look, this is I mean, we're not proud of this, but we weren't a very good tackling yeah. team this year. Yeah. I mean, it was it was very poor and all of us are responsible for that. So it's interesting, and conversely, San Francisco was one of the best tackling teams in the league. I think they allowed the least amount of yards after contact of any team in the league. So we had a discussion, so just tackling, that's something obviously you guys are really good at it. It's something you guys – and he went through kind of, well, here's how we view it, here's how we practice it, here's how we drill it, and it was interesting kind of his philosophy on it, and it's like, okay, then you marry that up with how they play – so then you're starting to see some things match up. So it was a very organic conversation. It went for, you know, a few hours or a little bit more than a few hours, whatever it was. And we just kind of kept going back and forth, back and forth. And you touch on a myriad of different topics. It's not one particular thing. There's a football element, obviously. There's a personal element. There's a staff element, which I would say the first interview, you don't necessarily pull out a spreadsheet and go through like four or five deep at each position. I mean, that's probably more of a follow-up, but it's just generally speaking, what type of coach, what type of coaches are you looking for, what's important? So you're really just trying to get a general outline of the person, the individual, how they think, what they think is important coaching-wise, what are their principles, and then you learn about just the person and who, what makes him tick. And I would say it was very apparent in that, I would say, initial conversation. 
I mean, this guy is basically the way everybody describes him. And there's not one person that we talk to, you know, because we have to do our job and do our research, understand that he has a history here and he played for the organization. And, you know, that was however many years ago. But we have a responsibility to make sure we accumulate as much information as possible. But literally everybody we talk to, I mean, it was the same thing over and over and over. So when you start to see a little bit of a repeat cadence, and then you match that up with the discussion, you start to go, okay, yep, I mean, this this looks like it's headed in the right direction. So there was a certain element of patience that we had to display because of the parameters and rules that were in place. But in the end, I think we're all happy with the end result, and you know, now it's time to go to work. Nick Casario joining us on the show. Nick, this, this, this is phenomenal insight. I want to ask you, you guys talked about yesterday in that press conference, you mentioned it when you laid out how the interview went, that at the very end of the interview – D'Amico, almost a sales pitch at the end, or trying to close the deal, it sounded like to me, where he was, you know, bring me home, I want to come home, I want this job. Is that normal for the end of a a, a coaching interview for someone to do that? I mean, did it surprise you? What was your reaction to that? No, it's interesting. I think every interview kind of takes on its own life. I think the one thing that was apparent is just how sincere and how heartfelt he was about this place, the organization, and the opportunity to be the coach here. And literally, it was kind of a, you have anything else you just want to leave us with? Do you have anything else you want to add? Because really, we want to hear from the candidate, like hear their perspective. Like nobody wants to listen to me like for two hours talk on a Zoom and not let the candidate talk. So I'll do that on this show. But anyways, (laughs) so (laughs) we gave him the opportunity there at the end. And then literally, like we hung up and it was kind of like, not like a surreal moment, but it was almost like, man, this, I mean, this is everything that he's about and it's genuine and it's sincere and everybody that's been around him sees that. So it was very apparent. So we kind (laughs) of recalibrated because what we, what we did is, I mean, however many candidates we interviewed seven or eight, we go through the process and we kind of had a system in place and, you know, you have different criteria of different traits. And then we kind of talk through, each candidate, what do we like? What are some strengths? What are some weaknesses? What are actually some follow-up questions that maybe we didn't cover that we could hit the next time? So just like you do after any game, all right, what happened in a game? All right, what happened? Here's what went well. Here are some things we have to improve. Here are some things maybe we can do better next time. So that was a discussion, and we all just kind of sat there and we're like, wow. I mean, that was, I mean, it was eye-opening, but it wasn't surprising necessarily because of, I would say all the information that we had that described like who he is as a person, because in the end, like we talked about, I mean, I know everybody wants to talk X and O's, but, and D'Amico articulated this as well. I thought very well yesterday. It's about people. It's about connection and it's about getting players to do what you ask them to do. And how do you get them to that point? You pour into them, you coach them hard. You have a standard of performance that everybody has to adhere to, but there has to be a little bit of give and take. And, what better, I would say, person to handle the team that understands all the dynamic? Look, everything's not perfect. And, you know, Seth has probably talked about this. There are some days you feel terrible. You don't want to come in a building. It's a pain in the ass to put mm-hmm. your pads on and go out and practice. All right. You got to have a feel as a coach for maybe what they're experiencing. And this is hard. It's not easy. Like, if it was easy, like everybody would do it. That's why 1% of, or whatever the number is, of high school players actually make it in the NFL. I mean, it's not easy. 
And then to be, be able to maintain a career and longevity is even harder. So when you just put all that together and when you look at somebody like D'Amico Ryans, it kind of all matches up and it all fits. You know, uh, one, one part that I remembered as you were talking there about the X's and O's and some of the, you know, getting on the same page or, or learning about each other there. I got really excited yesterday when you started talking about you and D'Amico having, you know, the shared belief in the importance of making the simple things look complex, the deception element of it in both offensive and defensive football. And that's, that's one thing that I've tried to explain to people when they express concern about having a defensive minded head coach. Um, it's that D'Amico very much has studied and understands the offensive side of the ball and the things that you see in his defense. One of the reasons his defense is so good is because they, they disguise so well and they do a lot of things that are relatively simple, but to an offense looks very complex. Um, and I, and I just feel like he has a, do you, did you just get a sense that he has a, a, a view of the whole picture, maybe more so than some coordinators do? Yes. And, and one of the things that he mentioned in the interview was the illusion of complexity. And when you actually watch how San Francisco plays both offensively and defensively, you see that. I mean, offensively, nobody motions more or moves shifts pre-snap more than Kyle. But there's a really there's a reason they're doing it. They're not just doing it to have a bunch of guys, you know, do calisthenics and run up and down and run sideline to sideline. I mean, there's a purpose behind it. And then conversely, on defense, you watch how they play defensively, and it's the illusion of well, we're going to do this. I mean, the offensive. There's look. There's great coaches in this league, so you can't. You have to be able to do things subtly that maybe cause the quarterback to just hesitate for one second or show them one thing and then do something else out of it. And I'd say D'Amico has a good feel for that. And when you watch them play defensively, and I was actually I was talking to uh, Chester Pitts about this yesterday after the fact. It was about if you do even do simple better, right? But then also. Let's say you make an adjustment with a linebacker. It might be like a six or eight inch step mm-hmm. to put him in a passing lane to create a pass breakup or you know interception, whatever it might be. But that small adjustment gives you the opportunity to make a big play. So you can't look. You don't want to have five thousand different calls. You got to be able to be, have certain things that you do well. Core principles, core calls. Really, where it comes into play more than anything is situationally. And when you watch teams play. Where you see a little bit more complexity, if you will, is usually third down in the red area. So early downs, you can do certain things. I'd say offensively, the pre-snap motions causes the defense to adjust, and then you have to see, okay, are they going to bump it? Are they going to run the nickel over? Are they going to flip the front? So you see some of that, I would say, more in early downs. Third down, there's a few more dynamics that are involved, right, which is a lot harder because it's 11 personnel, open up formations, five defensive backs, six defensive backs, all right, the nickel's on the line of scrimmage. Well, the Sam linebacker's on the line of scrimmage. The safety's down, but then he's going back. Like, those, it's a cat-and-mouse game. I mean, that's what football is. It's a chess game. It's a cat-and-mouse game. But you don't want to put the players in a position where they have 4,000 things in their head. It's like, well, do this on this play, do that. And I think D'Amico has a very good feel and sense for that. When you watch how they play defensively, the illusion of complexity manifests itself. They have certain things that they do well. They got some change-ups out of it. And I think... That's what the good teams do and the good staffs do because that's what you have to do on a week-to-week basis. You kind of have to morph into maybe something a little bit different based on the opponent. And I think Tobico believes in that. And the other thing that he mentioned yesterday, which we talked about as well, is 
your job, our job, is to accentuate the strengths of the players, put them in the best position to maximize their skills, whatever they are. And when you watch San Francisco, nine of the 11 players, and I mentioned this yesterday, nine of the 11 players were either drafted or undrafted, and they all aren't perfect. I mean, Bosa is, okay, like take him out of it, right? <laughs> okay, so you got Bosa, who's the best, call it, player in the league, right? Fred and his development, and D'Amico mentioned this yesterday, Werner played detached from the formation at BYU. He was basically called a safety, if you will, because he, he basically played over the slot. So then they had to, San Francisco had to say, all right, we're going to put this guy in a box. All right, you know what? Is he going to be able to do it? I'm not sure, but I think it's a credit to D'Amico and the staff that they took a player who had good size, who was athletic, who was fast, who could tackle, and they made him into a great player. And it's a credit to Fred for his willingness to be coached, and it's a credit to D'Amico and his staff to put him in a position. And the guy's a damn good football player, and he does a lot of things well. And it wasn't the case coming out, but that's part of your job and we'll talk about the. I think we're going to talk about the draft. But when you draft players, none of them are ready. Absolutely, not even close to being ready. Some might be further along than others. Everybody's going to have something that they're going to have to work on and improve in order to be a better player. So that's our job: is to identify the players with the right traits from a, a, a football. I would say non-playing characteristics. Are they tough-minded? Are they selfless? Are they? Do they have a good work ethic? Do they understand football? Are they going to take coaching? And then. Whatever their physical attributes are, that's where the staff is going to say, all right, what can we do to help this player? How can we put him in a position to have success? So there's the merger of the two, I would say, thought process from scouting to coaching to playing. In the end, it all has to fit together. And I think the two of us really believe in that. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nick Casario, Texans GM, joining us. Nick, you're okay on time right now? No problem. Okay, great. Uh, along those lines, players already in the building, and, and D'Amico mentioned a few of them yesterday, young players on the defensive side of the ball. And I, The thing that got me and I think a lot of fans most excited was when he talked about Derek Stingley and putting him in position to make plays and things like that. Um, I, I was wondering if you could maybe give your point of view on that or maybe elaborate on that. How do you expect Derek Stingley to adapt and develop under D'Amico Ryans in year two? 
Yeah, I think once we kind of have the system in place, we're going to teach, D'Amico's going to teach the defense or whoever the coordinator is. And there's going to be certain, I would say, parameters and required of that position, that corner, the corner. But when you watch, I would say, how San Fran has played. So Ward, who they signed in for agency, and then Lenore, who wasn't drafted, right? Or he was a late-round pick or whatever it was. So they've kind of mixed and matched, and there are times when he's on a line of scrimmage. There are times when he's off. Some of it might be the call. Some of it might be the opponent. So it goes back to what I just kind of mentioned. Whatever a player does well, our job is to put that player in a position to succeed. So whatever he does well, you can't do the same thing all the time. You're going to have to have some change-ups. Um, you know, so, but whatever a player does well, we're going to try to maximize that, whatever that is. So I would say Derek is a very intuitive, very smart, instinctive football player that understands football is a good work ethic. He's fast. He's got good quickness. He plays the ball really well. So whatever we think is the best for him within the confines of how we're playing structurally defensively, then that's what we're going to do. Cause you don't want to play well. This guy does this really well. We're just going to stick him out there, but you have to think about the overall structure and the overall fit of how you want to play, you know, both defensively and offensively. Um, Nick, as far as players on the current roster, I think the one a lot of us have questions about is is Brandon Cooks. He was he was pretty vocal throughout the second half of the year about not wanting to be part of a rebuild. Where do things stand with Brandon, and do you expect the hire of D'Amico to maybe affect his stance on things like that? Yeah, every player um, on a roster at some point, you know, we'll have a conversation. D'Amico and I will probably do a deeper dive onto where the team is, who's under contract for next year. Um, we talked about this with our players kind of in our last team meeting um, about whatever your personal situation is, whatever your contractual status is. At some point, we'll have a discussion about that. It's not something that you know, we're going to negotiate or articulate through the media. I would just say specific to Brandon. I have a lot of respect for Brandon. Brandon's a great player. He's been a great player in this league for a long time. He's been a very productive player uh, for a number of years. So we'll work through our process. D'Amico and I will spend time on that. And then ultimately, we're always going to do what we feel is in the best interest of the Houston Texans. I think D'Amico made that clear. I think I've made that clear on a number of different occasions. So I would say... Now that we have the coaching, st- the head coach in place, we have to work through the coaching staff, kind of the team building elements and everything that goes along with that. I mean, that's going to probably take a little bit of time here. So we have, call it, you know, four to six weeks as we get ready for free agency. So we have a little bit of time here to kind of work through some things and have some different discussions internally. You know, I think people who have followed football or the NFL for any amount of time, most most know that, okay, boy, the things that it takes to be a head coach um, are oftentimes much different than things you need to be a good offensive or defensive coordinator. And it feels like one of those things that we know, but we don't quite know what to do about it. So a lot of people were intrigued yesterday when you had mentioned, I believe you said there are eight traits or so that, that go into being a good head coach. And and you, you shed a little bit of light on that. Could you speak on that a little bit more? Hey, honestly, there's probably more than that, but I think there are only eight. <laughs> eight. Eight's actually my favorite number. That was my baseball number when I was growing up. So, um, and I couldn't number wear number two. eight in college, so that's why they just gave me eighteen. So that's how I ended up with eighteen as there a quarterback. But anyways, um, <laughs> look, there's a thousand things that go into I would say being um, successful in anything. But what we try to do is say, all right, let's. Um, evaluate the candidates through the prism of call it these eight to 10 traits, whatever they are. So leadership, humility, tactician, strategy, there's a few others that were in there. And just as you're going through the process, we have to make an assessment about where do we think 
the candidate stacks up in those areas. So I would say it's not limited to eight, Seth, but we just kind of said as we're going through it, just try to quantify maybe these eight to 10 and then evaluate each candidate through that lens and then ultimately make a decision based on some of the data and the metrics that we accumulate. So like anything, this is, I mean, I know this is your favorite topic, but it's data accumulation and then (laughs) analyze the data and then just try to make a good decision based on the information that you have. So, Mick, I'm not going to rest until it's just a bunch of algorithms out there <laughs> on the field in the form of holograms playing each other. This is- don't worry. There's some people that actually want that. I'm, I don't think it's ever going to happen in the NFL. His name is Darren uh, Ravel. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, oh, sorry. I, no, I, mean, yeah, I know uh, Daryl Morey is it believes in that, but it's more applicable to their sport. And Daryl does a great job. I know he did a great job here you yeah, know, in Houston. Yeah. So, I just think our sport, right, wrong, or different, it's. It's just probably more difficult to do because there's more variables, but there is a, no, a lot of data that is available at your disposal that all teams, I would say, are starting to utilize, are utilizing. In the end, it's the overall application of it. So here's what it says. What does it tell you? What does it mean? What's the application? And that's the most important thing. And can our players use it? So in the end, this is a player. It's a player's league. It's yeah. a player-driven league. It's about the players because when, when they're on the field on Sunday and you're playing in a stadium you know, where you can't hear anybody, like a coach isn't going to be able to t- like yell, do this, do that, yell at you, get them lined up over here. It's about the players. And, and once the 15, 20 seconds, whenever the button goes off or for the coach to quarterback or coach to signal caller, <laughs> then it's on the players. So But you have to practice those situations, put the players in a position. And it's funny, D'Amico talked about this there are times in practice, um, it sounds like they had a lot of unscripted periods. It's interesting because yeah. going from a linebacker coach to a defensive coordinator, oh, right? Yeah. He hadn't called plays, what hadn't been a signal caller. So how do you prepare for that? It's like, how do you prepare to be a head coach? Like, well, there's no like blueprint or template. So number of unscripted periods. So then you train your mind, you have a process that's in place. And then as you go through it, maybe you can't get the call into him. Maybe the coach says, you know what? We're going to make it difficult. Like turn the headset off. And you have to have nonverbal communication or use a board or hand signal or, Fred, you got it, okay? Uh, Kirko, you got the call, but you have to practice that because that's, that's football. Like, that's real. So yeah. we can do everything that we want to do during the week. We, our job is to prepare the players. But ultimately, when we're on the field. Like you're relying on your teammate next to you. Okay, when they get to this bunch formation, like the coach isn't going to be yelling at you, well, move outside, get on the line of scrimmage. If you're doing that, like you have problems. So it's not going to work. So you have to practice that. You got to create habits. You got a good process. And you got to build trust in the players when you're on the field. So um, I know I kind of went off there a little bit. No, no, no. Yeah, I've got, I've got notes I'll send you afterwards. <laughs> Seriously, that's uh, like some good – because honestly – He is. Somebody, he's, uh, he's, he's riveted right now, Nick, so you know. Well, I, I would tell you really quick, Two Nick, football nerds talking so, about football. That's so. it. One thing that used to drive me crazy when you talk about scripted practices, like I was on teams that were struggling at times, and there would be times where, you know, we're doing scripted periods – and the offensive line coach is scared for his job, and he's given the offensive line basically the answers to the test beforehand, telling them which blitzes are coming, which you know what what defense, like everything. To where you're like you're, you're, you're at that happens, yes, I mean, that legitimately yeah. happens. Oh. That's not football. No, and, honestly, and it's the worst. And you're like, you guys suck already, and now you're getting even worse. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, you have to. Football's a reactionary game. You have to react to what they're doing. Yeah. You can you can anticipate based on the scouting report. All right, on early downs, 
okay, they're in this front 65, 70% of the time. So, all right, there's a good chance the probability tells you, all right, this is the front they're going to be in, all right? So you're going to build a running game accordingly. You're going to build pass protection accordingly. But if they have a changeup, then you have to have rules and principles in place that you can resort back to. So the I think the unscripted component, and again, D'Amico talked about this. We, we've talked about it. He and I have talked about this. So, And I would say just personally, we did like – umpteen million unscripted practices in New England because that's how you train your mind. That's how you train yourself to react. Are there certain looks that you're going to have to put on a card and give the players so they can actually anticipate? Yes. But at some point, the guy might line up. Okay, he's supposed to be in a six, but he's in a nine. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, well, the card like is wrong or, well, the card during practice, he was supposed to be here. Well, he's not. He's in a nine technique. So what's your rule? What are you going to do? What's the communication? What's the call? Like that's that's how football is played, and I think D'Amico believes in that and preparing the team accordingly. Um, you know, which is certainly music to my ears. Nick Casario, Texans GM, joining us. You're listening to KLT and KLT HD2 and Odyssey Station. Nick, you've said in the past that on on game day you're there to serve the head coach in whatever way he needs. Have you and D'Amico discussed what your role is going to be, if any, on game day? Yeah, we haven't gotten into that. And again, I think I've said this multiple times. Honestly, I don't really care what my role is on game day. Like, I'm here to support. I'm here to help the team. I don't want to get in the way, all right? I think I can be a resource and help, and that's my job and responsibility. So whatever that entails, I've had the good fortune of doing a lot of different things on game day. So offensively, I've done personnel for the defense at one point you know getting that to the defensive coordinator I'm not calling plays I'm not saying I'm going to do that I'm really there to observe and listen and learn and watch so that after the game when he and I are having a discussion it can be constructive it's not you know well I didn't understand what was happening so I love football I love everything that goes into it I have a I'd say a decent understanding of some of the schematics and I just want to be able to help in any way possible. So, and I would say you guys know me, like I'm not a big wear a suit, walk around on the sideline kind of guy, you know, before games and then go sit in the press. Like I love Cal and Hannah, but like that's not like the best place for me to watch the game. So I'm immersed. I want to be immersed in it and, and from a football standpoint and be around. Look, if it's go stand on a field, like I'll stand on a field. Like I don't want to get in the way. Like I just want to help. I want to be a resource. So we'll work through some of those dynamics and whatever he think makes the most sense, then yeah, that's what we're going to do. But there's always give and take on everything. But, I mean, I love just game day and because, you know, when you understand, A, your team, how you want to play, and then you understand the opponent, like that's what I crave and that's what I enjoy. And I think that's what I've kind of learned over the course of time. I can't just sit there not understand, well, on this run play, like, well, the tight end and, the, you know, the tackle are supposed to deuce, we have a deuce block, and then everybody's wondering, like, oh, the back, you know, made the wrong read or something like that. Well, no, no, no. Well, what happened? Okay, well, who got the ME? Well, the tackle got it because he didn't get the communication. Okay, like, you can't, like, you got to study that, you got to understand that, and you got to know it so that you can take the information. And my job has always been to be a conduit from the coaching staff to the scouting staff and kind of be the bridge when they say, hey, what happened on this play? Or whose responsibility was this? Well, they can't all run into D'Amico's office and say, like, what happened on this play? I can hopefully give an informed opinion on it. So, again, we'll get to that whenever is appropriate, but I'm willing to do whatever to help the team. That's a, You know what, though, Nick? 
you just described the very reason I'm worried about Tom Brady as a broadcaster because <laughs> I I feel like Brady, Brady is not the guy to be like like no it's definitely the fullback that screwed up because he knows it could be like twenty different things I don't know man. <laughs> Oh, man. No comment. On <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awkward pause. Career, what, so. I, just I love Joel, Tom. Yeah. I remember uh, it was another quarterback. I can't remember which one it was, but he was talking about trying to do color commentary afterwards. And he's like, they'll ask me what went wrong on the player. Why did the quarterback do that? Yeah. And like, I don't know. Sometimes you just screw up. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Nick Casario, Texans GM joining us on the program. Nick, we got a bunch of people texting in questions about the draft. I'm assuming we're going to talk to you at least a couple times between now and the draft. That'll 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 yeah, come. Yeah, we'll work time. that in. No problem. Yep. I'm sure everybody I'm sure you're chomping at the bit, you know, to talk about, you know, Mayer and, you know, yeah. the draft. Yeah. I got some and, Isaiah Foskey you know, film I want to break down with I mean, you. We at had, some you point. know, Kyle Hamilton for 2 months had to hear about that last year. So, <laughs> well, well, get ready, buddy. <laughs> um, hey Nick, one last thing before we let you go. The internet was a buzz yesterday that you weren't wearing socks at the press conference what was that about <laughs> actually i did have socks they're like the uh, no, ankle like the ankle so socks. i didn't go in there with yeah. you know just barefoot because that's really not it's i gross. would say good hygiene right. so i did have socks i kind of went with my i know everybody my youngest daughter uh, says daddy you're not wearing a tie i'm like well okay it's like maybe it, like i want to give that to D'Amico. like i kind of have my own little style there so um, not everybody approved, but I did have socks, so yeah, I, I'm a low-cut, anklet kind of guy. I'm glad we're like talking about my footwear. Had the internet um, buzzing. Uh, yeah, but this is the problem, I, though. That's like that's the style now. What was yeah, that, like it? trending on Twitter or something Might like have that? Been. It's, a, it's, a, it's when people, like, listen, I'm no fashionista or anything, yeah. but like, I, get, I don't criticize. That's in style to not wear socks right okay. now. So I feel like if you're going to criticize somebody's style, at least know what the hell you're talking about. Or and, like, it's, the, it's the illusion of not wearing wearing socks but you're actually wearing socks yeah right 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 yeah. i think people were more uh just inquiring than criticizing oh, okay. over it. yeah i think well, you find me the crit- i try to maintain good hygiene so for all everybody out there i did have socks on thank you good there you go okay I mean, it was well, like that was like eight years ago that lance like, people were saying this about lance mccullers like he's not wearing socks in a tuxedo like yeah because that's that's what they just, do these days there were no show socks i just want them to hear straight from the general manager what the situation was happy the, to help with the socks yes yeah, yeah thank you now who are you taking with the number two over no never mind <laughs> seriously though like but trading back for number one like that's yeah. hard right it's like there's he's not gonna answer yeah. what's the average price how many points which yeah. draft board should let's, i use let's go through the no chart. honestly which draft board like out there which is most approximates what like the average nfl team is using for the uh the, the point points. system you're yeah. talking on the trade chart yeah yeah, yeah. i i hear i hear, i mean i know we got to go because everybody wants to meet it stop talking but Mo- I would say most teams are still using the the Jimmy chart. Really? But what they've done is they've modified it oh. to more of an analyt. The Seth's favorite people, kind of the analytical. So there's kind of a traditional chart and yeah. then kind of a analytics chart. Quite frankly, it kind of creates for some difficult conversations because the values don't always match up. So I think the best approximation is to kind of use the Jimmy chart, kind of updated for you know where it was to where it is now. Because you get into the – each team has a model that they may use, and it doesn't match up, so it kind of creates <laughs> – you're going through the trade charts and the points, and it's like, wait a minute, like it doesn't match up. So 
Uh, but in the end, it's like I'd an say exchange th- rate between teams. You know, like, well, these guys are idiots, and they think that they're yeah. close approximation. But okay. for the most part, I think Jimmy's chart still has relevance. Okay. There go. All right, Nick Casario, Texans general manager. Nick, always generous with your time, and we really appreciate that. Congratulations on landing your head coach. And, man, we can't wait for things to get started. We'll talk soon. Thanks, fellas. Have a great weekend. Yep, you too. Great weekend, Nick. Thanks. Appreciate you joining us. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend, or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.